Thanks for listening to the Bellevue Christian Church podcast. We're a church in Bellevue, Pennsylvania, where ordinary people are learning to live everyday life like Jesus. We believe that one way to learn that life is by engaging with an ancient but active collection of books called the Bible every single week. Good morning. I'm always glad to get the opportunity to, to preach in place of one of my former seminary students. The reason I'm, Wendy and I are here is that uh, after I finished mentoring a young pastor where we were attending and heard that Austin was becoming the pastor here, I was so impressed with him as a student. I said, we need to be a part of this church. Plus, we live in the neighborhood. So that was my wife's conviction of what we needed to be doing. So I'm here to bring God's word to you this morning. So would you just pray with me for a minute? Father, thank you for this opportunity to bring your word. It's a holy responsibility. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, the final thing that Pastor Austin listed that holds us back in our faith is ungratefulness. Ungratefulness. Well, so a growing body of research has tied an attitude of gratitude with a number of positive emotional and physical health benefits. An article in the Wall Street Journal summarized this research. Adults who frequently feel grateful have more energy, more optimism, more social connections, and more happiness than those who do not. They're also less likely to be depressed, envious, greedier, or alcoholics. They earn more money. They sleep more soundly, they exercise more regularly, and have greater resistance to viral infections. All for being thankful. Researchers also found that gratitude brings similar benefits in children and adolescents. Kids who feel and act grateful tend to be less materialistic, get better grades, set higher goals, complain of fewer headaches and stomach aches, and feel more satisfied with their friends, families, and schools than those who don't. However, researchers have proven what most parents know instinctively. Gratitude doesn't come naturally. In her book entitled The Gift of Thanks, Margaret Visser cites a study which observed children spontaneously said hi 27% of the time, goodbye 25% of the time, but thanks only 7% of the time. Parents had to prompt their children to say thanks over half of the time. Children have such more difficult time learning to say thanks, Visser states. Eventually, when children have matured and been further educated, they will come to be able to feel the emotion that the words express. The words come first, and the feelings later. Based on this research, Visser concludes that learning to be thankful involves a steep learning curve. She writes, in our culture... Thanksgiving is to believe to be, for most children, the very last of basic social graces they acquire. Perhaps this applies to adults as well. So I want to pick up where we left off in this series in Luke, This is Jesus. I want to read from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 and 17. You can find it in your pew Bibles, or I believe it will be up on the screen as well. So hear God's word to us this morning. While traveling to Jerusalem, Jesus passed between Samaria and Galilee. 
As he entered a village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he told them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were cleansed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down on his feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus says, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told them, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. The psalmist says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. But there's much more to learn from this story than improving our social graces. The passage teaches salvation is a life of thankfulness. Salvation is a life of thankfulness. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, which is a literary way of saying he's headed to the cross. And on his way, he passes along the region between Samaria and Galilee, where he encounters ten lepers. And they're keeping their distance as they beg for mercy and desire to be healed. Leprosy in biblical times was seen as a curse from God. Leopards were considered ritually unclean and were ostracized from the community. Not only couldn't participate in the synagogue, but they weren't even allowed inside the gates surrounding the city of Jerusalem. And lepers were required to, to yell out, Unclean! Unclean! if anyone came near them, because others could become unclean themselves if they got too close. Thus the reason they were standing at a distance from Jesus. Lepers were physically ill. They were covered with awful sores and skin diseases. They were spiritually wounded and emotionally scarred. You can almost sense their feelings of being ridiculed and and abandoned as they cried out for mercy. Yet as they call out to Jesus, they refer to him as master. A word only used in the Gospel of Luke, and in every other instance, it's a term only used by Jesus' disciples. The lepers, these classic outsiders, recognize Jesus as more than a teacher or a prophet, but as someone who had the power to heal them. The Pharisees didn't believe such people desired or deserved God's mercy. Leprosy was what they deserved because of their perceived sinfulness. But Jesus welcomed, as we know, the sinners and the outcasts and offered them his grace and his mercy. He offered them his grace and mercy. And, And grace is getting what we don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And that's what offended the Pharisees, the the religious moralists, who didn't believe they even needed God's grace and mercy. Now, the simple reading of this text appears to be another account of healing, in which it is. However, the focus of this story is on the reaction to the healing, not the results of the healing. The focus of this story is on the reaction to the healing, not the results. Notice the lepers don't ask for healing. They just cry out for mercy. 
Jesus' response is to instruct them to go show themselves to the priests. That's what was required in the Levitical law. Because only the priests could verify that they had been cleansed from leprosy. But even without Jesus' touch, the ten lepers were healed on their way to the priests. One of the ten, a Samaritan, upon discovering he was healed, came back praising God and on his knees gave thanks at the feet of Jesus. And as you may know, Samaritans were half-breeds and they were considered the scum of society. They were looked down on more than the nine Jews who had leprosy. So we see two reactions to God's mercy here. The nine who received mercy but did not return to give thanks, and one who did return. Nine whose hearts were not transformed, and one whose heart was transformed, evidenced by a joyful and submissive act of worship. Jesus commends the one as a model of faith. You see, faith never looks to God to respond to us in gratitude, but always looks to God in gratitude. Faith never looks to God to, uh, to respond to us in gratitude, but always looks to God in gratitude. So the nine lepers experienced the mercy of God. They were, they were cleansed of the leprosy, but they missed the grace of God. Here's the thing. We can be close to Christ and never know him. We can grow up in the church, we can have some knowledge of Scripture, we can be a good moral person, and still miss the grace of the gospel. How? Because we continue to trust in ourselves instead of Christ. How many good and wonderful things have happened in our lives that we've taken credit for? Jesus asked, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? You see, what we take for granted, we will never take seriously. What we take for granted, we will never take seriously. When was the last time we thanked God for the simple process of inhaling oxygen and exhaling carbon dioxide? Something we do 23,000 times daily. But do we give thanks for the very breath that we have when we wake up in the mornings? So let's take a a little deeper look into our text. I want to look at three different words related to the leper's healings. In verse 15 it says, One of them, seeing he was healed, returned. And the Greek word for healed here in this verse is hyatha. And it's a medical term describing a repair, like healing a broken bone. And in verse 17, Jesus asks, were not ten cleansed? And the word cleansed in Greek is where we get our word catheter from. And there's also a medical term meaning to remove impurities. When a doctor inserts a heart cath, it is to, to remove blockage in an artery so that healing can take place. To be cleansed is what the priest would be looking for, the the removal of impurities in the leper uh, to make them clean and restore them to community. But lastly, in verse 19, Jesus proclaims to the Samaritan leper, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. This is the third and and different word, sozo, 
It was used to describe people who had escaped dangerous situations. In Matthew's birth narrative, the angel instructs Joseph, name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The same word. And Paul writes in Romans 10.10, it is by openly declaring your faith you are saved. To the Samaritan who returned to give thanks, Jesus pronounced a complete healing. A healing that surpasses the other two terms, the other two medical terms. This healing is more than a physical repair and more than a cleansing of, of an impurities. This healing proclaims, it is well with my soul. A healing that was much more than just skin deep. Did you know that all of the healings of leprosy in Scripture were only by supernatural means? It's not surprising. No lepers were ever cured through any natural means. Leprosy was a a lifetime sentence to pain and exclusion. Moses' sister was miraculously healed, as was a man called Naaman. The only two accounts and records in the Old Testament of healing of leprosy. And in the New Testament, Jesus healed many lepers, but miraculously, supernaturally. Only God healed lepers. And Jesus, the the Son of God, God incarnate, the, the God worthy of worship, healed lepers. And the Samaritan leper realized this. When he saw he was healed, he he returned, he gave glory, he fell down, and he gave thanks. Return, praise, prostate, and thanks. This was the Samaritan's response to God's saving grace. Return, praise, prostate, and thanks. The Samaritan's response to the saving grace he experienced. You see, God blesses humanity in a very general way. We call that common grace. Luke 6.35 tells us, God is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. His common grace. God was kind to all ten lepers. God's common grace of healing was bestowed on all ten, but only one responded by returning to give glory and falling down to give thanks. The Samaritan's gratitude revealed his faith, his response to saving grace. God makes use of both common grace and saving grace. For instance, the food that we eat is a means of common grace to keep us physically going. While the spiritual food of God's word is saving grace. In both, God reveals aspects of his goodness, his righteousness, his power and mercy to mankind. However, common grace differs from saving grace because common grace is insufficient to bring men and women to saving knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. Yet God's common grace is the reason everyone enjoys the sunrise in the morning and the rain watering the earth and our gardens. Not because we deserve it, but because God is faithful and generous. Saving grace is also unmerited, but it has the power to bring us to repentance, changing our ungodly ways and Assuring us of eternal life. Ephesians 2.8 says, God saved you by his grace. And we can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. 
Some of you are like what I used to be. When I, I got saved, I was convinced that I was mostly God. And I contributed something. I had to say a prayer. I, I had to come forward. I had to, I had to respond in some way. I contributed to my salvation. That is not true. You didn't contribute one little bit. You contributed zero. It was all by God's grace. That's saving grace. We can't take credit for any of it. It's a gift from God. A man purchased a white mouse to use as food for his pet snake. He dropped the unsuspecting mouse into the snake's glass cage where the snake was sleeping in a bed of sawdust. The tiny mouse had a serious problem on his hands. And any moment he could be swallowed alive. Obviously, the mouse needed to come up with a brilliant plan. So he quickly set to working covering the snake with sawdust chips until it was completely buried. With that, the mouse apparently thought he had solved the problem. But the solution, however, came from the outside. The man had compassion on the silly little mouse and removed him from the cage. You see, no matter how hard we try to cover or deny our sinful nature, it's fool's work. Sin will eventually awake from sleep and shake off its cover. Were it not for the saving grace of the Master's hand, sin would eat us alive. It appears that the one leper recognized the compassion of Jesus' saving grace. Because for this Samaritan man, the most important thing seems to be thanking God for what God has done through Jesus. It is more important than checking off a ritual task, even if that ritual task will allow him to at least partially rejoin his people. It's more important than returning to show off his deliverance. First, he wants to say thank you. First, he wants to show his gratitude to the person who healed him. First, he wants to worship. So perhaps this is why Jesus asks, what happened to the other nine? He was making a point of how the other nine decided on something else, some other step, as their first act once they were healed. Have you ever thought about those first thing I'll do scenarios? The first thing you'd do if you won the lottery. The first thing you'd do if you got that dream job. The first thing you'd do if you no longer had a chronic illness. The first thing you'd do if you could change that one thing about your life. Where does gratitude for God's saving grace fit into your plan? Jesus tells the Samaritan to get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. And guess what? In in the Greek, it is the perfect tense, meaning it is a one-time action that continues to impact his experience well into the future. The faith that the Samaritan man is expressing through this grateful praise isn't a one-off. It's his very foundation now. His faith in God will continue to guide and bless him for the rest of his life because he knows who to turn to in need and in blessing The Samaritan man is going to be all right. No matter what any priest declares, Jesus says his faith has saved him. Now, 
Now, it may be obvious that there is something to be learned about people who live on the margins of life, who are treated as invisible or unlovable based on their appearance or their social status, and that Jesus clearly sees them and, and loves them. That's a part of this story. And we can take from that, we should do likely, do the same. We should care and, and love for those on the fringes of society. However, we might want to consider what parts of ourselves are also hidden and in need of some deep love. I believe that's the more instructive part of this story. You see, because Jesus is not afraid to meet us in those places. Those places where we hide. Those places in things about ourselves where we don't feel loved. No abuse has scarred you so badly that you're untouchable. No sin has made you unlovable. No fear has disqualified you. No problem has put your life on hold. No failure has negated Christ's love for you. And for that, oh God, we can be so very thankful. The question, where are the nine, remains pertinent to the ingratitude of our day. It is clear Jesus expects us to be thankful. Salvation that doesn't bring us to, to return and to praise and to prostrate ourselves in prayer and, and give thanks is incomplete and stunted. This morning we have returned to church to praise God and prostrate our hearts in prayer. And we're about to give thanks. Because you see the word thanks here in this text is Eucharisto. Eucharist. Another word for the Lord's Supper or communion. So let us prepare our hearts to give thanks. The supper that we're about to partake in. The Eucharist. Because salvation is a life of thankfulness. Let us pray. Father, before we give thanks in this communion and this Lord's Supper, may we confess the ways we have been unthankful. You bless us every day of our lives. You wake us up. You give us breath. You give us food and clothes and shelter. You care for every detail of our lives. There is nothing that we have or received or experienced that is not from you. So forgive us for being an unthankful people. So may we recall all of the ways that you have blessed us and cared for us and protected us and healed us. All the ways that you've made us whole. All the ways that it is well with our souls. And may we give you thanks, O oh God. And we pray that in Jesus' holy name. In all God's people said, Amen.
Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast for a new teaching from us every single week.